Well, it's good to be with you. I'm Joel Wayne, one of the pastors. Um, a couple of days ago, I'm driving down the road, and I recognized that instead of saying, or a little red light going on on my dash that says, you don't have much gas, it literally started going to the mileage, like automatically it says, we have a Chevy, and it says you have this many miles until you're out of gas. And it started at like 47 miles and then it was at 42, and anybody else have a car that does this, right? And then it was at 32, and I'm going, okay, I got 30 miles. I've only got like 15 miles to go to get to a gas station. I had a kid in the back of the car, and then it just disappeared. And my kid's the one who said, it went blank, Dad. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, it doesn't say, like, we're, we're going to, what what's it say? I said, it says, get gas or push, dummy. And so I'm going, oh, no. I really didn't have the time to do that, and I knew it would have to be a sermon illustration, and then you would make fun of me, and I'm just like, oh. Does anybody right now in life feel like their faith tank is low? Anybody? Like where you're just going, I need some more, please. I I, I need some more. I'm running on E. My family, they're not responding the way I think they should be responding. Or, or work is a complete nightmare. I, I, need, I need a little faith tank. Like, I need it to be filled up. And I think that that's sometimes, I think we've all been there. Whether you're there right now or not, I think that we've all been there. Where we just need God to come and replenish some faith in our own life. So where's your faith tank? I want to give you a brief description of faith. A brief description. It's not going to be up here. You might want to scribble some of it down. Faith is, um, and, and this is very simplistically stated, I know. There, there's so many levels and components of, of faith. But faith is inner conviction. Faith is belief that, that what God says to us and the gospel is true. Faith is belief. It's inner conviction that what God says to us in the gospel is true. And you hang on to that for every facet of your life. And you depend on that. And you rest in that. And you, you just grab hold of it no matter what. And it's what drives you in life. It's what makes you the type of uh, attorney you are. The type of teacher you are. Or it makes you, it's what makes you stay at home for some of you with your kids when they're growing up. Because you're going, I so badly want to instill in them faith and you want to be there. Or it's what makes you wake up in the mornings when you don't get home until 3 a.m. on a Saturday night to come to church and to worship. Because you can't wait to worship because it's so deeply instilled in your heart. That's what faith does. It dictates your life. It moves your life. It, it governs your life. So here's a question for you then. Can faith be passive? It's a really good question for you to go process with your friends today. Can faith be passive? Can someone be deceived into thinking that he or she is a believer when in fact they're not? I'm not, uh, if you, it depends on what type of church you grew up in. Um, 
I grew up in a church that always said, once saved, always saved, right? That's not the stuff I'm talking about. I'm talking about those people who claim to have a faith, who claim to live a certain way, but nothing ever really changes. Nothing is really governed by that faith. And so they claim faith because it's the right thing to claim, but they're actually not people of faith. Can someone be deceived into thinking that he or she is a believer when in fact that they're not? Because the apostles, they saw counterfeit faith as a very real danger. The apostles, they saw it as a a, a really, it was a danger. I'll give you a passage, 2 Corinthians 13.5. Uh, just like other weeks, I need to, I'm going to be calling out various passages that walk along with us as we're going to be jumping in to the end of James chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. That's why we grow up, right? As we're growing up, our parents always tell us, hey, listen, don't worry about them. Don't judge them. Look at your own self and and what God is wanting to teach you. That's what I I grew up hearing. Test yourselves to see if you are are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Right? 2 Peter 1 Especially verse 10, 2 Peter 1.10, Peter's saying some similar words for us. And so we need to examine our faith. We need to kind of see where we are in terms of our faith. Because here in the letter of James, I believe that James is letting us know, he's telling people that they can think that they have faith when they do not. And the factor that distinguishes faith is the righteous behavior that is inevitably produced by authentic faith. If you only hear the word, you deceive yourself about genuine salvation. If you only hear the word, if that's all you do is hear the word, you deceive yourself about genuine salvation. A mark of an authentic believer, a mark of someone with genuine faith is a desire to obey the word of God. So we know that the book of James, I believe it's a litmus test for us. It's a a way to gauge and determine where we fall in our faith and knowing that it's being written to the 12 tribes that are scattered. Some have moved away, but others have literally had uh, it's called the dispersion for a reason. They've had to disperse because of persecution, etc. And so they're, they're scattered abroad. And James is writing this letter to all of these believers and letting them know, hey, listen, make sure you stay devoted. Here's a gauge of your faith and helping you to understand where you are and how you're doing. And so he's already given them a test of how they respond to trials. In the first chapter, we also see this test um, of how they respond to temptation in their life. Do they absorb it or do they reject it? And here is another, as we jump in, James chapter 1, okay? 
22 through 27. We're going to cover the rest of James chapter 1. And as we jump into this, we have another test of, are you obeying? How are you doing with temptation? How are you doing with tests that are coming your way? But how are you doing with obedience? And it tells us, James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, here's James, and I want you to notice the difference about what he is communicating here. And, and you can underline your Bible. It's okay to underline your Bible, I promise. You, you can underline the word doer or doers. Because here, what we find in Greek is this substantive doers of the word or word doers. And that's what he's communicating. What he's not doing, it's not, it's not this, this imperative, this straightforward imperative that says do the word. What it is, is it says be doers of the word. And there is a difference here because he's describing a characteristic behavior. Now listen to these words carefully. Here's, here's what James is doing. He's describing this characteristic behavior, not an activity. And so when you were looking at the original language here, that, that's important for us to notice because there is a tremendous difference. It's, it's the difference between someone saying that, hey, I got in a fight versus being a soldier. It's someone saying, hey, I, I helped to build a shed versus that of saying I'm a builder. You see the difference here, right? And many of us are saying, hey, I built a shed. And, and God's going, I want you to be a builder. But we can't really say we're a builder. We just jumped into an activity. We helped our neighbor across the street th- knock some shingles on the top of some plywood. And we think that all of a sudden we're good to go now. No. He's saying it's not just about performing an occasional activity. It's characteristic of who you are. Be a doer of the word. Not just someone who's occasionally participating in an activity that is reflective of the Bible. It's deeply ingrained in you and it's what makes up your very character and the integrity that you have. It's driven by the conviction, that inner conviction you have of what faith is in your life. That's what he's doing here. And he's forcing us to examine that and go, wait. He's not telling his readers to do the word. He's telling them that if they're truly genuine in their faith, they are doers of the word. They don't just simply do the word. And man, are we struggling with that today. He's letting us know that merely hearing God's word He's going to be very clear about this. It results in worthless. If you just do the word, you're not a doer of the word. One is what you do. One is who you are. Then you're, if, if, you're, if you just do the word, your religion is worthless. I would argue that simply saying that you hear the word is no better than unbelief and And honestly, I think it's no better than outright rejection of the faith. In many ways, I would consider it to be worse. In fact, one of the passages, I want to go to Matthew chapter 7, 21 
and following. I would say 21 through 27. I'm just going to read 21 through 23. That's it. Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount. And you're going, you're going okay, wait, did, did this guy just say that just someone, if I, if I just do the word, that's worse than someone who just simply rejects the faith. Well, listen to the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. Romans chapter 2, Paul does the same. Romans chapter 2, 13 through 25, Paul's doing the same thing. He speaks about the same type of things. And so we start to process that and we start to understand that we need to examine our faith and where we stand. To truly be honest about it. Hearing without obeying is self-deception, my friends. Listen, verse 22, once again, be doers of the word not hearers only deceiving yourselves hearing without obeying is self-deception you're lying to yourself and that's why we had the opportunity to jump in we know this passage we speak about it it's why it speaks of in james chapter one the mirror right uh, you want to look at yourself i'll give you a hand You look good. And so here he comes and he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to really examine yourself. I want you to look. That's why it says in 23 through 25, it says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, listen to that. It doesn't say if anyone is a hearer of the word and doesn't do it, he says, and is not a doer. There it is again. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now we know that in earlier days what they did they didn't have mirrors like this. They, they took brass and other metals, and they would polish them and polish them and polish them. And that, they'd have a beautiful reflection, and they would have those all over the place, right, uh, for the king to see himself, etc. And those are just the type of things that they did. They didn't have this type of thing, but it, the illustration is the same. He's letting us know. And he's using the mirror, that reflection, as, as an opportunity for us to look at ourselves and go, hey, everybody keeps looking at themselves, but they're not really examining themselves. I want you to truly look at who you are in your faith, and I need you to look carefully. I need you to look cautiously. I need you to look observantly. Because too many of us is that we're not really examining our faith. We do something nice. We look at ourselves. We go, look at how great I am. And then we forget who we are. It reminds me, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is a parable of the soils. 
verse 5 and 6 in Matthew chapter 13, what you have is where it's the, the seed that's been thrown on, the, the soil that is shallow, and it takes off really quickly at first, but then it withers away. I think that's what he's talking about here. There's people who look at themselves in the mirror and they go, hey, look at what I did, but they don't really examine who they are. And so they forget. James is saying that non-doers are not true believers. And he tells us to look intently. says he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. It's, um, that word intently is the same word that is used in John chapter 20 when John ran into the tomb. And he looked. He peered into Jesus' empty tomb. He was looking to see if it was really truth, if, it, if that's really what had happened. It's the same word there. John chapter 20, verse 5, I believe. And so we need to look at ourselves in the same way and say, is that really accurate? I'm looking, if I look at myself and I stand in front of this, am I really a person who is a doer of the word? Where am I in my faith? And the believer today, we need to take a deep and an honest look in the mirror. We need to take an honest look in the mirror. Because then what he does is he offers a challenge. And he says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. First thing he does is this challenge of the unbridled tongue, right? An unbridled tongue shows a deceived and an unholy heart. Now, I'm, I'm not going to speak a lot about the tongue today. I'm going to do that in coming weeks because certainly later on, James, he hits it hard. And so we're going to have, this, we're going to, have to address our speech and the language and how uh, we are able to communicate today. So know that we're going to be hitting that hard in a few weeks. But we do need to at least briefly say that an unbridled tongue shows a deceived and an unholy heart. Matthew 15, 18. This is what it tells us. Matthew 15, 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And then it says, and this defiles a person. So we know that, Matthew 15, 18 we understand this. And so James addresses our speech more and more later on. But the gist of it is that your tongue, he's challenging us, your tongue shows that which characterizes your very nature. It's just opening up a portal for people to see your heart. He tells them, don't deceive yourself. I want to I address that. This is um, James chapter 1, 16, um, James chapter 1, 22, James chapter 1, 26. I believe every one of those verses, um, we are told not to deceive ourselves. James, is James writing believers or non-believers? Believers. 
And three times he's telling the believer, guys, don't deceive yourself. After the first time, I've been, okay, I heard him. I shouldn't deceive myself. The second time, I'm going, dude, you already told me. The third time, just quickly in a letter, I'm going, who does he think we are? But obviously, he sees the problem. He sees that there's some type of conundrum, and he's going, please don't deceive yourself. Don't think that you're high and mighty when you, su- you simply do some activities that make you feel religious, and you're not truly invested in your faith. Do we, do we know, besides going to church, hopefully writing and giving to God some money here and there and serving kids, do we know the difference between someone who is of faith and someone who is not? Do we even know the difference of what someone looks like when they look in the mirror, you see someone who is completely devoted to God and they are just welling up in their faith, they are burning hot for Jesus Christ. Do we know the difference? Because he keeps addressing, he says, guys, don't deceive yourself. Don't, wait, don't deceive yourself. One more time, don't deceive yourself. Because if you are, your religion is now going to be worthless. Where are you in your faith? Right, we, we know from the Old Testament. Here's what. Jewish people would do at least a couple times a day, they would, they would cite the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it was an expression of their commitment to faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. And he would basically jump into the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body. And it was an expression of, you know what, I'm to love God. I am to allow my faith, my commitment to my God to govern everything in my life. There is nothing that is separate from Him. If you don't think it's important, the Shema in the Hebrew Bible is stated almost 1,200 times. 1,162. It's important. And even in the Old Testament, started looking up and trying to discover places that described in the Old Testament God's hatred for religious acts that weren't actually showing true love for God. Here's one of them. Amos chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. I want to read this for you. Amos chapter 5, 21 through 24. Guys, this, is, this whole thing is an examination of, is our faith real? I mean, is it something that drives us? Is, is it something that, that dictates who we are and what we do, truly in everything? He says in Amos chapter 5, I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. 
We find it in the Old Testament. We are now, James is warning of it. Guys, your religion is worthless if you're not truly people of faith. You've got to look in the mirror and ask yourself, who is God to you? And what does that mean for you? Why? Because religion breeds apathy. That's what it does. Why? Because religion ends up being more repetitive than it is relational. Would you know what to say to someone if they come up and say, Hey, can you you do me a favor? Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. What's that look like? What would you be able to speak to them? What would you be able to communicate with them? What he does is in James chapter 1, I think he's listing some of the differences between a worthless religion and a pure religion. It's part of what he ends up doing. Worthless religion, um, he tells us, if you look at the passage, an unbridled tongue. That's that challenge that he gives us. I think deception is a showing of worthless religion, and also it's been stained. So that means pure religion is there's a care for others where you assist in their needs. It's unstained. There's no self-proclaiming power in that, right? It's why I believe he's saying here, listen... Religion that is pure, that is undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. That you care for others. That you stop looking in the mirror at yourself and comparing yourself to the world and making sure you have this or this or that. It doesn't matter. Let's make sure you're a person of faith. Let's make sure you don't have a religion that's worthless. What I want you to do is I want to make sure you're caring for others. One of the ways that you know your faith is genuine is when you want to do everything you can to care for others and you don't care about the attention you get for yourself. Would you be doing your act? Would you do the word if nobody else was watching? I think the mirror forces an honest look at our faith. Because some of us All of us at times, all of us at times have been polluted, have been stained by the world in which we live. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Otherwise, verse 23 and 24, you're fooling yourself. Persevere, and you'll be blessed. If you want to know if your faith is real, if it's genuine, bridle your tongue and be unstained, be unpolluted by the world around you. I want to share for you 1 Corinthians 15, 22. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Um, and, and here's the reason I want to share this with you. Because we, we, today, I just want us to examine one big question. 
have you truly said yes to Jesus? And are you willing to say yes to Jesus? That's the, that's the big question. Because many of the people today are being fooled. And many of the people today are struggling. If you, if you, can't, if you can't even communicate what Jesus is to you relationally, there's a, there's a problem there. We want to help you with that. And I'm wanting to make sure that we know what it is to be people of faith. It's the it's the um, it's the story I've told about one of the gentlemen I went to visit in the hospital years and years ago, early in my ministry, and it's where I always get the good versus the godly because he's the guy who is dying, right? And he says, "Man, I, I just recognize I I was a good man, but I wasn't a godly man, and that's really stuck with me for years and years and years." And he's questioning before he dies, literally that day he passed away, and he's questioning where he was with his faith. And he went to church his whole life. He did the things that he was supposed to. He, he did the right activity. And this is what, it, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, it says, it says, just as everyone dies, because we all belong to Adam, Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. How much do you rely on Jesus? Before you're even making decisions, do you grab your spouse's hand and you call out to God, Lord, may we do your will and not our own. Or do you make your own decisions and then when they don't go the way you want them to, you get angry at God when you never even asked his opinion before. Are we people of faith? This, I'm going to close this. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back out. Don't look at the clock. Don't worry, we're not done. I got at least an hour to go. I found my glasses so I can read stuff. It's amazing. Th this is truly what I, I want to, this is what I would want. If I could have my druthers, I would get in front of every single person and I would sit down in front of you and I would say this. Tell me about your faith. Is it something that has happened in your life that is so captivating that to not speak of it to your children, you know 
you know would be like a spear in your heart? Is your faith so deeply entrenched in your life that this isn't what you do because nothing else was happening on Sunday morning? It's what you do every day and you can't get enough of it. Last Sunday, and I, I just would want to sit just like this and talk to all of you. I, I wish I had that type of scheduling where I could do that. Last Sunday, though, um, what ended up happening was in the second service, um, I got, at the end, I kind of got all emotional. Shocker. Um, and I came in on Monday and I asked our video person, Rachel Harper, I said, hey, which message did you post online? And she goes, I posted the second message. I said, change it right now. I need you to put the first service up. She goes, why? The second message was good. I said, I need you to put this first message up. She goes, well, why? And then all of a sudden my friend, uh, my assistant came in and she goes, hey, she just looked at me, what are you doing? Why don't you want the second message to be up there? I said, because I was vulnerable. And we live in a society today that I, when you're vulnerable, you know what it is? It's incredibly lonely. Because nobody else is vulnerable. And none of, nobody seems to be honest about their faith. Here's the fact. Every single person in this room right now has had crap happen to them. Every single person in this room has been in a place of hurt and misery and despair. And you look at someone and you have no idea that they have lost children. And you look at people and you go, you have no idea the financial difficulties that they've had. Or that their children have just denied their faith over and over again. And yet we all walk around as though we've got it all put together. We don't. Can we please be honest about where we are in our faith? Can we be honest about the fact, some of us are so unhealthy, we may die this week. Can we be honest? about whether or not we're looking in the mirror and are we really seeing a person who's so madly in love with Jesus that is dictating everything else, or are we playing a game? Please, 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 can we stop playing the game? Can we know what it is to be vulnerable? Can we know what it is to say, you know what, I am a sinner, I have hardship in my life, but my God is greater. Can we be that, please? It's not about being all polished. It's not about making sure we never say anything incorrectly. But it is about recognizing who we are. And saying, you know what, but God has delivered me. And many of us need to be honest with ourselves about what we're seeing in the mirror.
we need to be honest because right now we just want God to do what we want him to do to serve us. God owes you nothing more than what he's already done. And so this is what I like us to do. I, want us to, I just want us to sing a song and reflect on who Christ is. We're going to sing a couple songs. Sing a couple, maybe three or four. I get a note every Monday from Nathan Potter that says, I love to hate you. Um, or is it, I hate loving you. Which I can see you right now. He's making a face. And I, I want us just to take an opportunity to worship. And to give you an opportunity to ask yourself if your faith is real. And I want to invite you to come and to pray with me. I'm going to be right down here. And I want, you to, I want to invite you to come and pray. And you know if your faith is real. I can tell you this, if everybody in here had genuine faith, oh, it doesn't look the way it looks right now. And I'm going to, they don't know I'm going to do this. If I can have um, the Heath and the Green stand over there in the corner, all four of you, please. The Van Dykes, the Dykstras, if you guys could stand in that corner over there, please. And if you want someone to pray with, they're going to stand there and you can pray with them. All you got to do is say, my name is whatever. That's all you have to say. And they'll just start praying if you don't want to share any more than that. Can we get real about our faith? Can we please get real about our faith? Can we? Or does it scare you too bad? Does it scare you too bad to recognize that God's got something greater for you? Can we get real? Listen, I know hardship's there. I know it is. It's when I, man, I was, man, I lost my marriage. I was losing it. So close. Right? I've told you so. I'm pastoring a church, and I'm going, I don't even want to go home. And God humbled me. I know what it is. I've been there. But can we get real about our faith? Because without it, you got nothing. So I'm going to invite us to pray together. Let's go ahead and just stand. We're going to pray. I'm inviting you to come forward, to go have some. If you just need somebody to pray with you, go grab one. These guys are amazing people of faith. And let's just let these words soak in. Sing if you want to sing. Sit back down if you want to sit down. Lay down if you want to lay down. God, I come before you. Help us to be honest about what we see in the mirror. Help us be honest about what we see in the mirror. May it be nothing but you. Amen. Let's sing together. I invite you.
to call out to God.